I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. It's when those two things converge that porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. Meet Cindy Gallup, my guest in this episode of Lives of Tomorrow. Today, we'll discuss how we might need to step up the conversation about sex and porn. Cindy Gallup is the founder of MakeLoveNotPorn.com, the world's first user-generated social sex video sharing platform, which Cindy describes as the social sex revolution. She wants to reform porn and rehabilitate the younger generation with an alternative campaign for tasteful erotica. Cindy's also a sex tech pioneer who champions gender equality, diversity and inclusion everywhere. I'm your host, Carla Bizarchi, CEO of WGSN, the world's largest trend forecasting company. And you're listening to Lives of Tomorrow, the WGSN podcast about how we will all live our lives in the future. But Cindy, let's talk about sex. And before we do, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Cindy Gallup. I'm the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. My background is 38 years working in brand building, marketing and advertising. And I still do a certain amount of that because alongside Make Love Not Porn, I support myself as a public speaker and consultant. I characterize my approach as I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. I read that. Um, well, if you do any Googling around you, then that definitely comes up. And I was like, I've got to get myself like a better tagline. That is just brilliant. Now, we're definitely going to come on to uh, Make Love Not Porn. But tell me, Michael Bay of business, what does that mean? The reason I use that line is not as a bit of whimsy or creativity, a bit of fun. I use it entirely deliberately because when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do. It repels the ones who don't. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort and money. So one of my philosophies is be your own filter. And I do recommend to people that they arrive at their own summation, their own soundbite, because when you put that out into the world, you will attract your tribe to you and you will keep away the people who aren't. So you know, I have a business, Carla, that is a complete and total accident because I never consciously intentionally set out to do anything I very bizarrely find myself doing now. It came about because um, I date younger men. Um, they tend to be men in their 20s. And 16, 17 years ago now, I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering very intimately and personally, what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. It's when those two things converge that porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I know where this behavior is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 16 years ago, no one was talking about this. No one was writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I'm going to do something about this. So 15 years ago, 
pure little side venture, I put up on no money a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just copy. The construct was porn world versus real world. I had the opportunity to launch it at TED in 2009. I became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage six times in succession. The talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from all around the world, young and old, male and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out, telling me things about their sex lives and their porn-watching habits they'd never told anyone before, and I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so I then felt I had a responsibility to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful, and effective. And so I turned it into a business designed to do good and make money simultaneously. And so today, we are the world's first and only user-generated, 100% human-curated social sex video sharing platform. You're obviously, so you're changing conversations, you're changing lives in, in many cases. How do you see that evolving? And do you think that you can, I guess, change the entire porn industry as a consequence? Make Love Not Porn is not a competitor to porn. We are the only real world complement and counterpoint. But what I am doing is I've spent 15 years parallel passing two things, working to build Make Love Not Porn and working to change the cultural and business context around it. Because when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And I have inadvertently in that context become a champion and an advocate for a different future for the porn industry. It is interesting because there have been changes in, I was going to say this space, it's not this space, let's say adjacent spaces. So if you look at sex toys, those were very much a kind of naughty secret that people had. And when it was, you know, the rampant rabbit on Sex and City, that was so groundbreaking that it was on television. And yet today, you've got, you know, Hollywood actresses like Dakota Johnson, who's put her face and her name to a very beautiful sex toy. You've got kind of sex boutiques rather than dirty sex shops out there. This is going to sound quite amusing, but Boots in the UK. So every Tuesday they do a £10 Tuesday and there is makeup on there. And I'm a bit of a beauty product junkie, so I'll always log on. And today in amongst the kind of reduced Clinique eyeliner, there were sex toys, but then there was also like a Veruca control. And this was all mixed up together. Like they were all exactly the same thing. Now, we could talk about whether that's the right strategy for Boots in terms of how you showcase these products. But we've become a lot more used to that. That is not a taboo anymore. But porn definitely is. So is it going to go that way? And do you think people like yourself and platforms like yourself will enable that? Or do you think there will always be a stigma associated with it? You're right, there is more acceptance of sex toys now, but still not enough. So today, sex tech is a known thing. But even within sex tech, there is what I call a hierarchy of accessibility and acceptability. So um, to your point, sex toys and D2C sex, sexual health and wellness products are at the most acceptable end of that hierarchy. Because investors you know, are now familiar with sex toys. They can see how D2C translates in this area. They're willing to fund it. Moving up the hierarchy, also very acceptable these days, is audio porn and erotica. And that's because you don't have to look at anything nasty. You just listen. 
So this is much more fun that. Make Love Not Porn still operates out on the extreme end of that hierarchy. Oh my God, people having sex on video. But here's the thing. What we are doing is very important in bringing acceptance and acceptability to everybody else. And what I mean by that is we have just embarked on a partnership with Hot Octopus, the UK-based sex toy company. And in fact, I'll be speaking at Bloomfest next week on a panel with Kelly of Hot Octopus about this. But um, the reason is our real-world sex videos offer the opportunity for product demonstration Many products never, ever get to be demonstrated. And I can tell you the sex toy market has not even begun to leverage its full financial potential because here's the thing. You can design the most cutting-edge sex toy in the entire universe. And if a couple cannot bring themselves to talk to each other about their sex life, they will never, ever buy and use it. And so what we do at Make Love Not Porn, as I said, we're socializing sex, making it easy to talk about. And so we have partnered with Hot Octopus. We sent a bunch of their toys to our Make Love Not Porn stars who filmed themselves using these for the first time in the real world. And the important thing about what you know our platform is about is that this is literally warts and all. Oh my God, how does this work? Oh, wow, that's great. Right, okay, few full stuff. Whoa! <laughs> and our members love this. Amazing. Now, we've got lots more to talk about on that topic, and I do feel I'm getting to know you pretty well, but we've got a few reoccurring questions that I ask all my guests, so we're going to quick fire on those and then going to come back to this. So, for a starting point, when are you happy? I'm happy all the time. I kind of get that feeling. I can't imagine you in a dark mood. It just doesn't compute at all. I'll tell you why especially I'm happy, Carla, because I think it's important our listeners hear this. So I am somebody who has never, ever wanted to be married. I have never wanted children. Very glad that I always knew that, as opposed to finding out the hard way by having them. I am not a relationship person. I adore being single. I cannot wait to die alone. And as I mentioned, I date younger men casually and recreationally for sex. And by the way, I'm deliberately public about all of that because we don't have enough role models for women and actually for men as well that demonstrate you can live your life very differently and still be amazingly happy. My next question is so dull in comparison, but I am genuinely interested. What is your go-to dish when you're cooking? So I am half English, half Chinese, but my mother is Malaysian Chinese. And I have to say, you know, I grew up in Asia, I grew up in Brunei. My favorite cuisine is my own Malaysian. If I had to eat one cuisine for the rest of my life, I would eat Malaysian. And one of my favorite Malaysian dishes is a dish called Roti Chanai, which by the way, you can find in the UK at, at a wonderful chain called Roti King. And Roti is a kind of Malaysian flatbread that is delicious. Now, it's quite a palaver to make. I can't possibly make it. But basically, in my freezer, I keep a package of frozen roti, and which is very easy to make because you just take one out and it's one minute either side in the frying pan. So that's great. And then, and then I top that roti with one of my favorite things ever, which is I adore anchovies. Okay, whenever I order pizza, I want double anchovy and anchovy on the side. And so I always have a ton of jars of anchovies in my kitchen cupboards. And so I will cook a roti, and then I will layer anchovies on top of it. It's kind of like a pizza, but without the cheese and tomato, and then eat that, and I adore it. That's brilliant. I've just come back from Grenada in the Caribbean, and I had roti every single lunchtime, and it was absolutely amazing. Oh my goodness. So that's my challenge, and I'm not a cook at all as to how I can do that at <laughs> home, but I hadn't considered the anchovy, so now I've got something else to add into the mix. 
Okay, I'm going on with the recommendations. I feel I'm learning from you. Uh, the last book you read and you felt you had to recommend it. I am going to be completely biased here. And I'm going to recommend my best friend Kate Bristow's brilliant first novel that she's just published called Saving Madonna, which is based on real-life history, which is how the Italian resistance saved the artworks of Abino from the Nazis when the Nazis were occupying Italy and smuggled them to Rome to be, you know, hidden and kept away. And Kate has turned this into a wonderful true life story, um, um, you know, um, tr this wonderful history into, you know, a fictional novel, a romance. It's fantastic. I'm so proud of her. Right. I've written it down on my notepad. I'm going to download it on my Kindle. It's fantastic. I've done this. Okay, your last question, and I think I know the answer to this because I think it's going to be never. When was the last time you felt uncomfortable or genuinely challenged? I never feel actively uncomfortable. And it's worth sharing with our listeners why that is, because this is an exercise I recommend that everybody do. If you've never done this, take a long, hard look inside yourself and ask yourself, what do I believe in? What do I value? What do I stand for? What am I all about? And the reason I recommend doing that is because when you identify what you believe in and value, what you stand for, it makes life so much easier. Um, life still throws you all the shit it always will, but you know how to respond to that shit in any given situation in a way that is true to you. And that is the secret of happiness, living your life and working your work according to your values. And so I'm never uncomfortable in the sense that I always know what my values are, what my North Star is, and I only ever operate according to that. And so whatever challenge I'm dealing with, I'm comfortable dealing with it in the way that is right for me. That's a really good life lesson, a really good life lesson. Okay, we're going to get back to the topic in hand, but I'm sort of going to take a slight deviation from it. So you, you said earlier, and I wrote it down when you said it, but something about the future of business. And you have been phenomenally successful in business, not just with this project, but as a public speaker and in the agency world and as a consultant. But you said something about sort of doing the right thing and changing the world and that being good business. Can you elaborate on that? I'm kind of intrigued. We have a huge opportunity to do good and make a ton more money simultaneously by reinventing aspirational culture. And the reason I say that is because we invented aspiration. We made people want things, but we made people want material things. Our industry made you want the right watch, the right car, the right outfit, the right house. Today, we have a huge opportunity to reinvent aspiration, to make people want things that will benefit them, will benefit society, and in so doing, will also enormously benefit the brand and the business that gets it. Our industry deals in stereotypes. And there's a practical reason for that, because stereotypes are very useful creative shorthand. When you have only 30 seconds to communicate, stereotypes shortcut storytelling. But what that means is our industry has perpetuated heteronormative stereotype of a marriage or relationship with man as the strong, confident breadwinner and woman as the warm, caring, nurturing homemaker. I want to see us reinvent aspirational culture around the aspirational relationship role model of today, which is a partnership of equals. Because today, both halves of a couple and any type of couple work, because you have to, because the economy, which requires new forms of negotiation as to 
Who does the housework? Who does the childcare? What happens when one half of the couple earns more than the other? What happens when one half of the couple has a job the other doesn't? When we can reinvent aspiration around a partnership of equals, when we can make so many more men aspire to be the supportive partner, the stay-at-home father, the dad who takes an equal proportion of the child rearing, we make everybody so much happier. And by the way, we will stop the current phenomenon of those men who are house husbands, stay-at-home fathers, being looked down on by men and women alike because that is not currently aspirational. Yeah, no, it really is. Okay. Well, I'm not going to draw you back because I think this is all this it's all interlinked, right? Because talking about what should be aspirational, talking about what people should value, talking about how people's lives can be made better. You're doing this on sort of lots of different aspects of, I guess, what you would say your job is today. Looking through to the future, we've talked a little bit about how you're doing may change the industries that, that you work within. This is a world of AI and deep fakes. And there's been quite a lot about that uh, in the news recently, especially when it pertains to Hollywood stars as well and, and what their visual identity is being used for. How do you see this developing and how are you going to tackle that on your particular platform? The young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate all our lives today, including the big AI um, platforms, they are not the primary targets, online or offline, of harassment, abuse, sexual assault, racism, violence, rape, revenge porn. Therefore, they did not and they do not proactively design for the prevention of any of those things on their platforms. And we see the results of that around us every single day. Those of us who are most at risk every single day, women, black people, people of color, LGBTQ, people with disabilities, we design safe spaces and safe experiences, but we don't get funded. Only 1.7% of all venture capital last year went to female founders. And that is why we have not yet seen how much better and safer the future of the internet could be designed and built through the female lens at scale. I designed Make Love Not Porn through the female lens to be the safest place on the internet because I designed it around what everybody else should have, nobody else did, human curation. There is no self-publishing of anything on Make Love Not Porn. Our curators watch every video through from beginning to end before we approve or reject and we publish it. No one else does that. We review every post on every member profile, every comment on every video. No one else does that. We can vouch for every single piece of content on our platform in a way that nobody else can. Safety on the internet is not a matter of viability, it's a matter of will. So I have had my own Make Love Not Porn AI product in the pipeline for five years, literally. I just have not been able to find investors to fund it so that I can actually build it. Because OpenAI, you know, ChatGPT, et cetera, they, they are built on LLMs, large language models. I have something utterly unique at Make Love Not Porn, which is a LVM, large video model, that is the world's only 100% human-created pool of fully consensual real-world sex video content. And I want to use that, as I can with AI, to build an algorithm for consent with a ton of use cases. So imagine Hollywood, because movies, TV, music videos, all around us in popular culture, we see many depictions of supposedly consensual sex, modeling, utterly non-consensual behaviors. 
So imagine being able to run your script, your scene, through an algorithm that tells you whether or not you're putting something out into popular culture that is actively consensual and modeling consensual behavior. Okay, come in. Let's talk about algorithms for a moment. So our lives are basically at the mercy of algorithms today, or we allow our lives to be at the mercy of them. You're pretty proactive on this front. What are you doing about that, both for yourself and your company? Unfortunately, for my company, and therefore the correlation is for me in the context of my company, I am completely obstructed by algorithms. So we are banned from promoting and advertising Make Love Not Porn anywhere. It was quite hard to find the website. I mean, I've heard you speak. I know about this. But if you Google it... Exactly. And so every big tech platform is censoring and deplatforming open, healthy, female lens, sexual health and wellness, because this is utterly biased, by the way. Male sexual health and wellness is not a problem, which is why you see erectile dysfunction solutions out the wazoo everywhere. For example, and this is infuriating, Carla, Make Love Not Porn is banned from doing paid search ads on Google. But every day all around the world, people search Make Love Not Porn without knowing that we exist. And what I mean by that is the top organic search terms that send traffic to us are make love, not porn, real sex, not porn, video sexo na porno, make love, not porn, where they don't know there's a company actually called that. One young man told me that he found us when he Googled porn that is not porn. He was so fed up with everything out there, wanted something different, no idea what to search for. When you search porn that is not porn, you find make love, not porn. That is how much the world wants us and knows it needs us, the documentary porn's Hollywood movie. But cannot find us because we are deranked, we are censored, we are deplatformed. And so I'm out to change all of this. I'm all about building solutions to my own problems. And so because um, I'm going to share this with you and our listeners because I think you may you may like this. So for years I've exhorted the women of our industry to start ad tech ventures. And that is because ad tech is as white bro dominated as advertising and tech. We as women are the primary targets of all advertising as the primary purchasers and influencers of purchase. But we are targeted and sold to through the white male lens. And to add insult to injury, the white bros are the ones making all the bloody money out of that. So for years, I've said women of the ad industry start ad tech ventures through the female lens because we know how to sell to each other. So I decided it was time to take my own advice. So one of the other things I'm raising funding for is I want to build my own ad tech. I want to build ad tech that operates on the complete opposite of the existing ad tech model, which, as you know, is reach eyeballs, clickbait, and a ton of fraud. I want to build ad tech that serves ads that people actively want to watch. So much so, it'll be destination viewing in itself, which is why I'm calling it Here for the Ads, I've bought the URL here for the ads.com to be a marketing site in due course. And there are three reasons why people will want to watch the ads that my ad tech serves. The first is that when I raise the funding to build a minimum viable product, I'm going to pilot this across my own properties, by the way, Make Love Not Porn, Make Love Porn Academy, which is um, what I want to build the zero to 18 sex education version in order to prove concept and then turn it into an ad exchange that plugs in everywhere else. But reason number one people want to watch these ads is I'm going to open up here for the ads to everybody like me who is currently banned for advertising, which, as I've said, is a very broad swathe of ventures, you know, menstruation, menopause. And also, Carla, it's not just small businesses like mine. It's it's the big players. My friends at Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Essity, Reckitt, they can't advertise Sanpro, condoms, lube the way they want to either. 
So we're talking huge revenue. And so the first reason people will want to watch these ads is because these are ads for products designed to help us all in these most intimate areas of lives we're desperate for help with, but they can't see them anywhere else because they're banned. So from a pure informational, educational point of view, they're going to want to see them. But the second reason is, on my ad tech, you can advertise any bloody way you like. No censorship, no holds barred. And I use the term bloody advisedly because Sampro ads, forget the bluing on the pad, bring on the blood, have fun with it. We're talking every brand and agency's dream creative brief. Be funny, engage in all of these areas, which is why here for the ads, we'll have a share button. People are going to want to forward these ads to everyone they know. This will be the only ad tech where going viral is a built-in feature, not a happens by chance. And the third reason people will want to watch these ads is because... At the heart of everything we do at Make Love Not Porn lies human curation. This is ad tech you apply to be allowed to advertise on. Our curators will decide whether A, we endorse your brand and product, you've got to be legitimate, and B, whether your advertising of sufficient quality of engagement entertainment to be served on an ad channel is all about ads that people actively want to watch. Cindy, I could talk to you for literally hours. I mean, hours. I'm going to lie in bed tonight and I'm going to think about how I should be building my business better. I'm going to be thinking about all my female friends who I've had conversations along these lines about. I'm going to think about all the awful ads that I get served with every single day, which I don't want to see. And I have no doubt that you're completely going to continue changing the world with all these amazing products you've got lined up. But I have one question to wrap things up. Are you more hopeful or anxious about the future of our conversations about sex? Oh, I'm enormously hopeful because, as I said, my favourite quote of all time is Alan Kay said, in order to predict the future, you have to invent it. And I am all about inventing the future. Too many people think the future just happens without us rolls us over in its wake. I believe in deciding what you want the future to be and make it, making it happen. I'm making the future I want to live in happen. And I'm seeing it happen because I and many other people with the same vision are absolutely driving that future. And so I'm enormously hopeful. I have designated 2024 as the year of money and sex. And I'm absolutely going to make damn sure that for me, Make Love Not Porn and all the rest of us, that is absolutely what this year and the future delivers. 2024, the year of money and sex. Well, we've got our tagline for this podcast, I think, if nothing else, with that amazing, that amazing summary. Cindy, thank you so much. This has been genuinely fascinated. I knew that this would be a good conversation and you have delivered on every single front. So thank you so much for your time. Listeners, there's clearly lots of homework for everyone to go out. I mean, all sorts of things I've been jotting down, books to read, new websites to surf, new investment platforms to think about where we're putting our money in the future. So thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Next week, WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast is back with another episode examining the future of product and design. If you want to get in touch with us and give us some feedback or input to the podcast, please send an email to lives at wgsn.com. I'm Kala Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time. <laughs>